It's a Wednesday, so time for a weekly check-in with vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who joins us. Doctor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. All right, Ontario hitting another milestone today, less than 200 new COVID cases, and for the first time in a year, zero deaths. Just how significant is this? It's tremendously exciting. And, you know, it's, it's a tribute to the crazy, wonderfully, insane amount of work that's gone into this. Everybody in the supply chain, everybody who has brought the vaccine to people's arms, we need to thank them and big time. Pharmacy has played a tremendous role. Pop-up clinics, all the nurses. It's a real milestone. The fact that we have zero deaths for the first time in a year, what exactly does that tell us? I mean, obviously the vaccines are working and that we're under 200 COVID cases for the day. Does this also tell us that uh, not only that the vaccines are working, though, Dr. Gorfinkel, but that we've seen the worst of the pandemic? Is it behind us, do you think? I think it's safe to say that the worst of the pandemic is behind us. You know, could we still have ripples, not waves? I think we can anticipate a ripple in the fall when children return to school. Don't forget, they do constitute some, uh, well, kids under 12, let's say, constitute some 12% of the population. Now that's just an approximate figure, but we cannot really achieve herd immunity to the Delta variant without vaccinating that key population. But is it exciting? The deaths largely fall almost completely in patients over the age of 60. You know, some 60% of the deaths in an entirety landed in those over 80, in fact. So that population has been almost completely vaccinated at this point. Super exciting. We can look forward to very few hospitalizations and deaths because of the large number of vaccinations. But I do worry about transmission in those who are unvaccinated, disease in those who are unvaccinated. We know our vaccines are effective against the Delta variant. The problem is they're not 100%, but they certainly are very, very good at preventing severe disease, hospitalizations, and deaths. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the effect of a vaccine rollout. You mentioned the Delta variant, and there's also been another variant of interest that has been named by the World Health Organization in the last uh, day or two. And there has been some talk that maybe because of the Delta variant, we might need a booster shot, a a third shot, uh, perhaps uh, by the end of the year. Uh, What do we know about that? Uh, What's the latest? Are we going to need a booster sooner rather than later, do you think? There are a number of countries looking at booster shots as we speak. And I think there is a good chance that we will need one simply because we do see a dropping vaccine effectiveness against the Delta variant. The problem is Canada is in this extremely luxurious role that the vast majority of the world is not. This is a global pandemic. So the numbers of COVID-19 globally are still very on a very sharp rise. So countries, Continents like Africa are facing large numbers of cases. And the question maybe that we should be asking ourselves are, do we need to vaccinate our kids? Or should we be sending those important vaccines to Africa, to other countries? That's a question that deserves answering because for every single case in Africa, you know, it's it's not us, it's not us, but actually their variants that are formed today are our variants tomorrow. So it does make sense. Their healthcare workers, their individuals over 80 are still dying. So it's, it's a big question. Like, 
the World Health Organization has said, hey, you wealthy countries, send us your vaccines and stop vaccinating your kids. Right. Uh, meantime, uh, Israel is also uh, reporting, Dr. Gorfinkel, a drop in effectiveness in the Pfizer vaccine. Should we be concerned at all about that? Yeah, it's interesting. So what happened back in May, we were all excited because, you know, Pfizer's vaccine effectiveness. And when we use the term effectiveness, we're talking about real world data as opposed to efficacy, which is talking about clinical trials. So effectiveness, their real world data was showing over 95% effectiveness when it came to whatever variant. And then what happened? Enter the Delta variant. And those numbers suddenly change. What did they drop to? 64% efficacy, vaccine effectiveness rather. But what, what does that mean exactly? We're talking about symptomatic disease. When we talk about severe disease, hospitalization and death, guess what? Thankfully, it is still 93% effective. In other words, for the most part, COVID-19, even by the Delta variant, even in Israel, has remained a vaccine-preventable disease. You know, can we say that for all future variants? No. And that's why the conversation around the race against the Delta variant is such a critical one, and also the possibility of needing a booster, because who's to say what tomorrow's variants are going to bring? So those listening right now that have had a Pfizer shot, whether it be the first, second shot, or both shots, is there any need or cause for concern with this news out of Israel? Just, con just convince those in your life to get vaccinated. So where does my worry go as a healthcare worker? It goes to the space of are our buildings being made as safely safe as possible? You know, and we talked about this a little last week. We wanna make sure that air filtration systems are up to speed. Have they been inspected? Are they being maintained? HVAC systems of buildings, and I'm talking apartment buildings, schools, universities, because it's not just about vaccinations. I'm talking about primary prevention. The UK has now let go of masks for kids. Not true for Israel, but the UK has. And on top of it, they've said kids no longer need to socially distance when they go back to school. But the one thing they're doing is acknowledging aerosol spread and ensuring that their schools have up-to-date HVAC systems, making sure that aerosol spread, in other words, particulate spread like cigarette smoke, because that we know the virus can spread that way, is absolutely minimized. Doctor, also this week, wanted to talk to you about travel restrictions because they are slowly starting to be lifted. There's no longer the need for the fully vaccinated, fully vaccinated Canadians to quarantine upon arriving back in the country. And you're getting a, a lot of questions from patients uh, regarding the rules. I certainly am. And a lot of them are really confused about the va you know vaccine passports. What do they mean? What do they imply? And, and, you know, I think part of the confusion comes from how other countries have used them. So really, they can be used for travel purposes, or they can be used for domestic purposes. In other words, you, you flash your pass that you've, oh, wait a second, I've been vaccinated, I'm double vaxxed, and now I can buy tickets to sporting events. My way into, buy my way into beauty salons you know, gymnasiums, this, this sort of thing, movie theaters. So that's exactly what Israel did. Israel landed on in an incentive system. So you can, you can look at it as a carrot or stick. Countries could say to their citizens, you must get vaccinated. And we have seen what countries have done that. 
No, some Eastern Bloc countries have done that. So, but that's not Canada's way. Canada's way is the individual will decide. So using an incentive system. And here, what Trudeau has done is actually attach it to, and this was very clever, attach it to the passport. So if you want to travel outside of this country, you must register with a CAN app and you have to write down in it, you could do this, you could do this online, or you could do this with the app, which vaccines you've had, when you had them, and also test results. You know, so it's interesting. It's an incentive system. You want to travel, then show us your antibodies, show us that you are protected. You know, so as opposed to a punishment system, there's a lot of advantages to that. Well, regarding the Arrive Can app, is this the way of the uh, future or just the foreseeable of future? Do you think that this is something we'll need maybe, I don't know, five, even 10 years from now? I mean, as we come out of the pandemic and we slowly but surely get herd immunity around the world, could this become maybe a thing of the past, something that's just needed for the foreseeable future? Or do you think it's something that's uh, maybe, you know, whether it's the Arrive Can app or whatever world standard of a vaccine passport we end up coming up with is it something that's uh, here forever and ever i do not believe that we can talk in terms of forever and ever when it comes to the pandemic first full disclosure i've been very humbled by everything that's happened but i do not believe that even in a year from now that will probably be as much a thing as it is but i think it'll probably remain critical until the world itself has been vaccinated like, so as I really think it through, this is a global pandemic. So when will Africa be vaccinated? There are uh, estimates, and these are guesstimates, in 2024, 2025. So in fact, it may take some time. My guess is it will largely depend on the country that you're traveling to, but it's just a, it's just a pure guess because so many countries now, the wealthy countries, the G7 countries, have you know, their populations vaccinated. But that's not representative of what's happening in the world wide over. So if you consider the advantages of vaccine passports, they do make congregating way less risky. They incentivize people to get vaccinated because if you want to travel, well, you've got to show proof of vaccination. And that has been shown actually to incentivize up to one third of people who otherwise would not get vaccinated. It allows people to also see when they've been vaccinated and with what product. But there's a downside to vaccine passports. There's a stigma potentially that comes with have and have not classes. You know, so according to a, a, a poll, a 2021 Smart Traveler poll, this is so interesting. They found, and this is, how many people do you think would lie about having been vaccinated in order to get into a venue? What's your guess, Jeff? Mm. Well, I'd just be throwing out a number, but 30%. Oh my gosh, you're more jaded than I was. I like I thought five <laughs> percent. No, it, it's like it's like twenty percent of people would actually lie. So you, you're guessing thirty. You're actually closer than I was. But you know, but there's also other issues with it, like privacy. Who's going to be watching this data, and where is the data going to be stored? So it's a lot trickier than what meets the eye. For sure. Without a doubt, we were just talking to our tech, ex tech expert earlier this hour about that very thing, about uh, privacy. And of course, uh, Microsoft out with a warning here uh, this afternoon to update all of your PCs because there's been a, a security breach. And how can government uh, assure you that something like the ArriveCan app 
is completely and totally a secure. Uh, before I let you go, Dr. Gorfinkel, and we run out of time, I wanted to ask you about moving to stage three, phase three of the reopening. Brampton's mayor, Patrick Brown, is out today saying it's time that we show the public some more goodwill. He would like to see stage three moved up. Uh, we've already hit the uh, targets, the vaccination targets for uh, phase three. Is there still a worry or a concern about uh, opening up further in the province, do you think? Well, you know, it's it's hard to see. Like, you take a look at what's happening in Israel. Israel was able to phase out its green pass back in early June. But now there's talk about bringing it back as cases of the Delta variant are on the rise. So we know cases of Delta variant are very much on the rise in Ontario, but overall our case numbers are absolutely wonderful. They're extremely low. You know, we have low hospitalizations, low ICU, low deaths, et cetera. Could that change when kids go back to school? It's possible that it does. I'm hoping that we'll see an early vaccine rollout of Pfizer because that looks promising for kids between five and 11. You know, they should have the data available by September. So Health Canada is doing rolling reviews as we speak. So, you know, a lot will depend on what happens. Personally, I favor, you know, the slow approach. You want to make sure that you have at least the 21 days in between so that we can give people enough time to have their vaccines work. Don't forget, it does take two weeks after getting that second dose to be at peak immunity. And we also want to give time to see if the case numbers, like the increased case numbers in Delta variant, translates into increased hospitalizations or ICU visits in Canada's population. Because right now we're drawing on the details from other populations, the UK and Israel. So it's not a given that you can necessarily make the same assumptions that we are them and we will therefore follow in their footsteps because we are a different population. All right. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel with us. Doctor, appreciate it as always. Thanks so much. Many thanks for having me. You bet.